Hey y'all, last month we had a great time coming together to worship God as a family, and guess what? We're doing it again. There is power when we gather with others to raise our voices in worship, and we wanna see you there. So many people share the incredible blessing it was to be in one space, socially distanced, and worshiping together. To stay in regulation, spots are limited, so get on our website and reserve a spot. Worship will be in a sense parking lot on Friday, September 25th at 6.30 p.m. Bring your mask, a lawn chair, any snacks you want, and we'll provide the rest. We'll see you there. An Ethiopian eunuch, a minister and in fact the treasurer to Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, was on his way home after coming to Jerusalem to worship. He was sitting in his carriage reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit said to Philip, approach this carriage and keep close to it. Then as Philip ran forward, he heard the man reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, how can I unless I have someone to guide me? Then Philip began, and using this scripture as a starting point, he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus. As they proceeded along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is some water. Is there any reason why I should not be baptized now? And he gave orders for the carriage to stop. Then both of them went down to the water, and Philip baptized the eunuch. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away suddenly, and the eunuch saw no more of him, but proceeded on his journey with a heart full of joy. Well, good morning, Ascent. It is so fun to share Sunday morning with you guys. I love it. Well, you guys, the, the, the passage that you just heard, the one that Aisha just read to you guys, it I love that passage. I love it because it's so stinking relatable for all of us. A guy goes 500 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Somehow he gets his hands on a copy of Isaiah, a book from the Old Testament. He gets back into his chariot and he's heading back to Ethiopia and he starts reading it and he doesn't understand what it says. Come on, every one of us can relate to that. If you've ever opened the Bible before, you know that there are times that you're reading and you're going, man, I have no idea what this says. Well, the Ethiopian guy, he's, he's sitting in his chariot going, I don't know what this means. Philip comes along and he says, hey man, what are you reading? Then the Ethiopian guy says, man, I'm reading this book, this, this, this thing from Isaiah, and I don't know what it means. And, and Philip then proceeds for, I don't know how long, probably a couple hours, Philip sits there with him and shares about the love of Jesus. Talks all about all that he had seen and all that he is learning about Jesus. And he tells it to this Ethiopian guy. Well, something happens in that time, something that's so profound, something that shakes that Ethiopian guy so much that at the end of his time that he's talking to him, he jumps out of the chariot and says, why not get baptized? And so he runs down this hillside and Philip goes and baptizes him in this lake. You guys, what in the world would make a guy? Listen to the story and words of Jesus and listen to it so intently that he would actually go and get out of his chariot and jump into a, into a lake of water. What in the world happened that would make him do that? I think that that Ethiopian guy had a face-to-face -face encounter with grace. And I, thought, I think he had nothing else he could do but say, I gotta go get baptized because of that truth of that grace in my life. You guys, I have been a pastor. I've been working in full-time ministry for 26 years. And I, and I wanna tell you, the, the thing that holds us back, that hinders us from putting our weight fully down on the love of God, the thing that keeps us and hinders our faith the most that I have seen in 26 years, you guys, it's not the Bible, even though just like that Ethiopian guy, there's times where you read the Bible and you don't get it. It's not the Bible. It's not the hypocrisy of the church, even though that sometimes hinders people from really wanting to put their weight down on the truth 
truth of God and Jesus in their life when they see that one person says they're a Christian but doesn't live it out in any way. And that hypocrisy can keep you away. But that's not the main thing that I've seen in these 26 years that is, that's hindered somebody in their relationship with Jesus. It's not our doubt I am someone that has struggled with doubt. And I know that for some people, that might be the thing that hinders you. But there's something greater that almost all of us deal with. It's our inability to experience and grab hold of the depth and the beauty of God's grace. I think our inability to grab hold of that is keeping us from fully investing and, and learning and diving deeper and putting our faith down and trusting a God that is so trustworthy in a time in our lives in the midst of captivity that we need to be trusting the Lord. Today, I wanna to talk more about what that Ethiopian eunuch went through. I wanna talk more about the grace of God. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand this off to Becky and our worship team. They're gonna sing a song for us. We're gonna to get to hear some, some vision of our church from Chris Sturgeon. He's our connection and growth pastor. And then we're gonna come back to me. And when we get back to me, I am going to, I'm gonna just dive into to what does grace truly mean for us? Father, I pray that this morning would be a, fun, a, a morning that draws us closer to you. God, speak to us through the screens and help us to draw, to, to step closer to you, to celebrate that step closer to you, and that we would learn more about your love and your grace that you pour out on us every single moment of every single day. God, be with us as we worship you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome again. As Bill said, it is so great to gather together and we are so glad that you are tuning in. Hey, we're gonna worship together and wherever you are, we invite you to embody these words. We are gonna be lifting these words up together and we believe these things to be true. So we invite you in with us. Would you join us? Mountains are still being moved and strongholds are still being loosed. God, we believe, yes, we can see, and wonders are still what you do, and bodies are still being raised, and giants are still being slain. God, we believe, yes, we can see, and wonders are still what you do. and have 
great song. And I love that phrase that we need a move. I want to talk to you right now about one of the ways that God is moving in this moment at Ascent. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about that October 4th, we want to start a ton of brand new core groups and see every person in this church get involved in one. Here's why we feel like that is the way that God is moving us as a church. Go back to the story that Aisha read. She talked about Philip and the Ethiopian. So you have this Ethiopian guy and he's had some kind of encounter with faith, enough that he's sitting in a chariot reading a dusty old scroll by the prophet Isaiah, but he's held back. Things just aren't taking off for him. He doesn't get it, but it all changes for him the moment he has somebody to come alongside him. We believe that when we come alongside one another, things change dramatically for us as people and in our faith. And that is why we want to see every person get involved in a core group. We know that right now we live in a time where we are more spread out, where we are more separated than we have ever been. And it's going to take real intentionality for us to find the kind of connection, that kind of coming alongside other people that we need to see our relationships, our friendships, and our faith take off. That's why we want to see everybody in this church get involved in a core group. And here's the cool news. You all have been responding. As of the time I'm uh, recording this, we've got 11 new groups ready to start, but we know that we need more. And so I wanna say one quick message to those of you out there who maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you've thought, I wonder if I could help put together a group like that. Let me say this, I believe you can. And let me talk to you about one of the types of groups that we're gonna have. And uh, we are gonna be producing questions and content. I've even got a little pamphlet and guide to show you how to do this, to be able to watch the service here with other people and then have some questions so to reflect on and to discuss afterwards. And that is something that I believe that almost anybody can do. And so here's what I want you to do. We've got a website, ascentcc.org slash core groups. There are two big buttons there. One of them says, I'm interested in learning how to be a leader. And one of them says, I'm just interested in finding a group. Right now, go and click one of those buttons. And if there's any part of you that's interested in knowing what would it look like to be a leader, but you're being held back because you're not sure you can do it, let me just tell you what will happen if you click that button. If you click that button, I will try to buy you a cup of coffee or lunch. It's pretty rough, it's high risk, but I think you can do it. So listen, maybe right now, maybe this is that move for you. 
and I don't want you to miss it. All right, I'm gonna get out of your way, but I do wanna say one thing about something that's coming up. Later in this service, Bill is gonna talk a little bit about baptism, and he's gonna tell you that we have an opportunity coming up soon for people to be baptized. It's really easy to listen to something like that and just think, oh, it's something I'm learning, but not actually think, could this be for me? I wanna challenge you. As you listen to the rest of today's service, think, could there be a personal movement for you to take through baptism? All right, you guys, well, here's what I wanna do. I want to take you back to the, the so when I was a little kid and, and, and I was going to church, a lot of you guys know that I grew up Catholic. And so, so when I was, get, here's how it happened. When I was getting ready for church, my mom would tell us, okay, we got to get down and get dressed and we can't wear jeans and we can't wear shorts. Those are the two main things. I don't know what mom learned in her Catholic grade school growing up about shorts or jeans, but we were not allowed to wear them. We had to wear sweat slacks or better. You guys that were growing up in the early 80s, you know what sweat slacks were. It was a slacks that had a little tiny stripe down the side and that made at least us feel like they could maybe be a little bit more like sweats than slacks. We bought them at Sears. It was mom's way to convince us that we were wearing something cool, but we weren't. So you, you got on your nice outfit and you went to church. We were always the last people to get there. And so the only row that was available was the front row. So our family, our six of us, my three brothers and I, and my mom and dad would go down to the front row of our church and we'd sit there in these hard wooden pews. We didn't have the cushion pews like other churches had. We had the hard wooden pews. And you guys, you, you had to sit up straight because if you were slouching, you'd slide right off of the thing. So you're sitting up straight, all dressed up, trying to present yourself as perfect as possible at church. Then the priest would come down. He'd come down in his white robe and, and, and the altar boys would be in their white robes and, and, and there would be a gold chalice on the altar that the wine would be in. And the bowl that the communion wafers were in was a gold bowl that the communion wafers were in. It was gold and white. Everything was perfect. Even the Bible was this big white Bible that Jesus signed 2,000 years before and that, that, that the, the priest would come in with. So everything was perfect. Everything was set up as perfect. I mean, these were days that I'd pray to Mary and, and, I'd, and I'd confess to a priest and we'd have these little confessional booths that we'd go, we'd go confess to the priest. And I only did that once. I, I remember confessing that, that I, I, told, I told the priest that I told my little brother to eat a, a Hershey bar that I found in the street. And I felt so guilty about it that I told it to my priest. I'm confessing to my priest. I'm praying to Mary. I'm trying to be as perfect as possible. And it's setting up, it's setting up this system. It's setting up this train of thought for me that was, if you do it right, God will bless. If you do it wrong, God will curse. If you do it, if we, if we do all that God is saying that we need to do, then, then God is going to reward. If we don't do it the way God tells us to do it, God's going to condemn or God's going to judge or God's going to punish. That's the way I thought. We heard, we heard messages of heaven and hell, not all the time, but I heard messages of heaven and hell. And that's, I thought, man, I don't want to disappoint my parents because I know I'll get punished. I love my parents, but I didn't want to disappoint them because I knew I'd get punished. I didn't want to disappoint God because I knew that punishment could lead to something really bad. You know, that's, that's our heaven and hell stuff that we're talking about. You guys, that's, the, that's how my faith was shaped and formed. Well, over these 26 years of spending time with people, I, I was noticing all of us have elements of that. You might have not grown up in the same church that I grew up in, but we all have elements of that. We all feel like, gosh, if I do it right, I think that, that God is gonna, is, that God's gonna like that. And if I do it wrong, God's not gonna like that. And, and God's gonna respond one way or another to what we're doing. I can't tell you how many people will even say, something bad happened in my life and they'll ask me the question, you know, is, is this God just punishing me because of something that I did way before? And I don't know what Bible we're reading that, that that's the conclusion that we have, but that's what we all tend to have those types of thoughts. It's been shaped by an equation that I have preached on a number of times in here, an equation that has, has shaped humanity. It's an equation that says it's our performance plus what other people think of us equals our self-worth. 
And so if we perform really well and other people see that performance, then our self-worth is high. But if we perform well and people don't see it, then our performance is low. Or if we perform poorly and people see that, our, 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 the, we self-evaluate really low. I, my senior year in high school, I'm, I made the error that cost us from going to state. We're in the extra innings. And I made the error that, my only error the whole stinking year. And it cost us a chance to go to state. You guys, my performance was, was bad. I was seen by other people that way. I, and my, my, my value in my life was so stinking low. I didn't want to go to school for a week after that. We deal with that in school. We deal with that with our spouse. We deal with that in our work. We deal with that. Oh, that's an equation that we are constantly living under. Our performance plus what other people think of us equals our self-worth. Well, you guys, we do the exact same thing all of us do. I don't care if you are just starting and just kind of putting the piece together of, of being a Christian or that you've been following Jesus your entire life. We tend to do this with our relationship with the Lord as well. The difference, though, is we say it's our performance plus how God sees our performance equals our value before the Lord. We look at him, we say, yeah, I, I was praying and that was good, but I fell asleep in prayer and that was bad. And God sees that I was falling asleep in prayer. And so my value before the Lord goes down. We, we serve, but it's self-righteous service. And we know that we got something in it for ourselves. And God knows that. And we know God knows that. And because of that, man, my value goes down. We mess up. We do things that we know God doesn't want us to do. And we know, man, that we have just messed up again. And God sees that. And we know my value before the Lord has gone down. We all deal with it. People have been dealing with that for 2,000 years that when Jesus came on the scene, that's the way it was. It was people's, it was the way people lived and God seeing that and how God valued them. Jesus stepped into that scene. John writes about this years later. He's looking back on his life. He's one of the disciples. He's looking back on his life and he starts writing about, it. he says, in the beginning was the word and the word, the word actually came into this world and dwelt among us. That's what he says. He says, do you believe it? God came into this world and dwelt among us. And then he said these two things that as he looks back on that life that Jesus showed him, he looks back on that and he says, and you guys, he came filled with two things, grace and truth. He's saying, man, he's as wise as you get in the ways of the Lord, man, he came with truth but he came with a grace, a grace that was, that people looked at and they were so stinking attracted to. They were attracted to his grace. They were going, wait, what is he talking about? They saw something where it's like, this doesn't make sense to any of us. This grace that he started pouring out on people. There's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, that, that talks about this. It's a guy named Andy Stanley, and, and, he, and he defines grace. And I'll never forget his definition of grace. He says, he says, grace is the undeserved, unearned, and unearnable favor of Jesus. It's the undeserved. It's, we don't deserve it. It's the unearned. We can't do anything about it. And we can't keep, it's unearnable favor of Jesus. And he gives us and pours out that grace over and over on our lives. See, Jesus came into this world and he said, I have got to change this equation. I don't like it that people are concluding a low self-worth. I don't like it that people are concluding that God sees them with less value than how God really sees them. And he's going, man, change that. I got to erase that. I got to demolish that. I've got to show them a new way to think and to, and to live. And he starts pouring out grace on people. He knows he can't do it just by words. They'll just throw it out away. He knows he's got to show it to them. And over and over again, he showed it to them. 
One of the, one of the coolest single moments where he did this was a day where the, the, the Jewish leaders were on this, this the, what was called the Temple Mount. It was the place where this is where all those people that their performance plus what God th- thinks of them equals their worth and their worth they felt was really high because they were following every law to a T. Man, they, they, they all hung out in this Temple Mount. This is where the law was read. This is where they would preach. This is where people, they would look down and, 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 and on those people that their, their value was low. He, they'd see all of that. And man, that's where those guys hung out. Well, Jesus comes and walks up onto the Temple Mount. And these guys feel like they've got Jesus now because he's been preaching this thing that people have been so attracted to. And they're going, man, here, we're going to catch him in this. They bring up this woman that they've been holding from the night before and they throw her at Jesus' feet. And they said, this woman has been caught in adultery. What should we do? They knew that the law says that if a woman's caught in adultery, she's to be stoned to death. The guys are picking up rocks, ready to chuck them at this lady. And Jesus is standing there and and they're saying, so what should we do? Let's see where this grace comes in now. Well, John tells us that Jesus got to the ground and he started writing something in the ground. And then after he wrote in the ground, he said this, he said, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw those stones that you're holding. First to throw them at her, someone that's without sin. And once again, he bent down and wrote in the ground. Man, he's taking a chance when he said that because you know that somebody there could have easily gone, I have no sin. But, but he, he bent back down, he wrote in the ground. Ever since then, people, have, theologians have, have argued, what do you think he wrote? Was he drawing a fish in the ground? What was he writing? I think he was writing G-R-A-C-E. Now he's writing it in Aramaic, but I think that he was saying, here it comes, get ready. And he, and he says, and, he, and when they heard it, They had to throw their rocks down and they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. They went away. They didn't know what to do. But you could almost picture them as they're going away, looking over their shoulder and going, now what's Jesus going to say to this woman? Come on, her value is nothing. What's he going to say to her? You guys, you know who else had to be thinking that? The woman herself. Remember, she's in the heart of that equation as well. Her performance as someone that has committed adultery, plus the way God sees that equals her value before the Lord. And she knows, she's thinking, my value before God is nothing. It's so low that I, I am going to be stoned to death. She knows I have zero value before the Lord. And Jesus Jesus knows that she knows that and Jesus straightened her up. He extended an, an hand of dignity to someone that felt like they have no value. Man, there's a message just in that. But he reaches down, he grabs her and he pulls her up to him and he straightened her up. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And Jesus takes the eraser out and erases that whole equation and says, neither do I condemn you. And he says, now here's the truth. He says, now go, go your way. And from now on, don't sin again. Don't take this grace that I'm giving you and just throw it away and just say, oh, well, and now I'm gonna go sin again. But man, that grace that he poured out on her, that that unearned, that undeserved, that unearnable favor of Jesus was poured out on her. And she's going, I have value? You guys, that is what, that, that is what he kept doing. Man, he was doing that to, 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 to Peter. When Peter denied him three times, Jesus said, you have value. When he looked at at Thomas with all of his doubt and Thomas is going, I got no value before the Lord. He's going, you've got value. When he looks at Mary Magdalene, you've got value. Looks at the woman at the well who's been married three different, has three different husbands. You have value because I am giving you my grace. You guys, that's what he kept doing. And when they asked the question, how much value? 
What, how much value do I really have? When you say you have value, how valuable am I in your eyes? And he said, you know how valuable you are? I'm going to pay the greatest price I can possibly think of paying because you have that much value. I'm going to go all the way to the cross. I'm going to pay everything I can, my innocent life, because you have value. And Jesus wants that grace. He wants that grace to cover, cover us. It's why grace is mentioned 111 times just in the New Testament. It's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. He wants that grace to, to, to cover our religious equation. He wants that grace to cover our perfection. He wants that grace to cover our fear of disappointment. He wants that grace to cover that crazy equation that we tend to live by. He wants that grace to breathe new life into us. He wants that grace to tell us that we are forgiven, that we are washed white as snow, that that oppressive equation of performance plus what others think of us equals our self-worth, that oppressive equation that presses us down, that, that makes you wake up in the morning and go, what am I waking up to? He's saying, I want grace to erase that equation and say, you're waking up to a new life, a new life where you are valued, a new life where you are loved and you're experiencing that love because I'm giving it to you. Unearned, undeserved, but I'm giving it to you anyway. Here as we wait, seek your face, come and make your throne upon our praise here in this place have your way the moment that we see you we are changed show us your glory show us your glory
A while ago, I'm working with our college students. I got a, hundreds of college students in this sanctuary together in this church. And, and we're, we're at this place, we call it the Annex. And, and I'm talking to them all about what we've been talking about, about grace, the grace of God, and, and this undeserved and this unearned favor that Jesus is giving us. Our students are just like anybody else. They're kind of going, well, gosh, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Well, and, and they're starting, they're starting to step towards it. Well, here's what we did at the end. At the end of the night during the worship time, I told them, I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a, a transparency. Do you remember these old transparencies? I want you to take one of these transparencies and I want you to take one of these little pens and I want you to write what you have found is the first part of that equation that you've been living to. That performance plus what then God sees in me equals my value. And, and I want you to write what those things are. And so the, stu the students would do that. They came up in front on this tile stairs and they all started writing down some honest, honest things. They started writing about their pride. They started writing about their anger. They started writing about the things they were resenting around their parents. They talked about porn. They wrote a pornography. They wrote apathy. They wrote jealousy. They wrote fear. They wrote revenge. They wrote stories. They wrote, they wrote things with their roommates that they struggled like crazy with. They wrote things that they've been holding on to for years. They'd write them on that transparency and then they'd put them under the water. And when they pulled them out from under the water, it was gone. And you could see the tears rolling down their face as they started to come face to face with, wait a minute, Jesus is seeing me differently. Wait a minute, His grace is changing the narrative of my story. See, don't you wish God had something that would help us to remember His grace, to remember that daily, that today I can wake up and go, I'm not gonna give in to that equation, but God sees me different. God has the greatest value for me. Don't you wish there was a way that we could remember how to remember what God is doing in our life? You guys, we do have a way. Let's go back to that Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, Philip is sitting there with him and he's telling him all about Jesus, and all about his love and sharing grace because grace is the gospel of good, the good news of Jesus. It's all about grace. And Philip's telling him all that. And what does the Ethiopian eunuch do at the end? He says, well, why don't I go get baptized? 
So at some point, Philip lived out what Jesus called us to do when he left us on this earth, when he said, now go and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's like he's saying, go and, and go help these people to remember my grace, to, to feel my grace. It's like Jesus is saying, man, I know that you hear it and I know that you can feel it here inside, but I want you to feel it on your skin. I want you to tangibly feel the cleansing love and grace that I offer to you. And so he's saying, man, I, let's, let's give them something that helps people to remember and he gives them baptism. You guys, I'm gonna take a little bit of a right-hand turn in the sermon because, because for this last little part of what we're talking about today, I just wanna tell you a little bit more about why he's talking about baptism. Because baptism's a weird thing for some people. If you haven't been in the church, it feels cultish almost. Got, getting into water in front of a bunch of people for some of you guys that have been in the church, maybe you got baptized as an infant like I did. And you're going, yeah, I'm, you know, my parents baptized me and they wanted to raise me up in the Lord. And, and so they baptized me, but you don't remember it yourself. And so, so some of you are going, man, I, I don't get what the big deal is with baptism. But man, there's a reason why Jesus puts so much on it. He's going, come on, you guys, this isn't what's going to save you. My life and death and resurrection saves you. But this is going to help you to remember my love and grace for you. See, when you go down under that water, see baptism, the word baptism is just, it comes from the Greek word baptizo. And that just means submerge underwater. It means cleanse underwater. You can baptizo your laundry tonight. You can stick it into the water and clean it and it'd be a baptizoed your laundry. You can baptizo your dishes. I baptizoed my dishes last night. Now, it's submerged underwater, but he's saying, man, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be able to experience that, that, that water over you. I want you to, to experience what that's like to, to come out of that water. The old is gone and the new has come. I want you to, to, to feel that cleansing water over you that says that definition of you no longer exists. I want you to come out of that water and feel the victory of saying, man, I am valued by God and it's, and it's not, my value isn't decreased because of what I've done. Man, that's been washed by the water that I have been submerged in. Romans, it says this in Romans, Paul, Paul writes about this. He says, or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. When we were under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. That old equation, that whole equation, my performance plus what God thinks of me equals my value before the Lord. That whole equation was left behind. When we came out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. You come out and you go, man, I have been washed and I have a new life in Jesus. And that baptism reminds me of that life that I have in Jesus. He says, this, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each one of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in a new grace, sovereign country. And this country of undeserved, unearned new life that Jesus gives us, you guys. We do it in front of people because it's a public declaration of a brand new association. See, I'm no longer associated with that, with that entire oppressive equation anymore. I'm associated with a new equation that just says, Jesus sees me. He knows me. He knows every bit of me and he loves me. And I didn't earn it. And I didn't deserve it, but he loves me anyway. It's a celebration that an old life is gone and we have a new life that we can breathe because of it. It's, it's the cleansing water that says no longer carry that guilt, no longer carry that stain, but I wash you as white as snow. 
See, I believe that Jesus meets us in that moment. That's why when, when we do baptism at the church, when someone comes out of the water, there's so much, we, we, we celebrate, we cheer. And the reason why we cheer is because that's victorious living. When, God, when Jesus says, yeah, run, when Paul says it, when run the race as if to win the prize, the, the prize, winning the prize is just going, I finally am realizing the grace that I've, I never deserved anyway. That's winning. That's, that's victorious living. And so many of us are living in defeat and we, God wants us to go through that water, come back out and, and celebrate victorious living that God loves us that much. I think the Holy Spirit meets us there and helps us to remember that, that day. That's why people, when they talk about baptism, they remember that day. You guys, for me, when I was in college, I went to, to Philadelphia in 1991 and 1992. I went and worked in the projects in Philly and lived in the projects in Philly. And it was, it was, those were two years that shaped me more than any two years of my life. Those, th those months that I spent in Philly, man, it shaped me. I learned so much. I learned about the plight of the urban poor and just my eyes were open to that. I learned about racial injustice. My eyes were, that was the first time my eyes were open to racial injustice. I went and lived in the midst of the projects and I became friends and family to a, a huge community of African-American, mostly kids that I got to, to spend time with. And, and I just, I just, I developed great friendships and, and they actually loved and accepted and taught me lots of things. I loved that season. But in the midst of that, God was doing something else too. He was working on my heart too in a different way. He was, he, he, in the, those days, I went into those times in Philly at the bottom of that equation. I was so, so, so filled with guilt for the way I lived my life. And I knew God looked at me that way. And the result was that God, I had no value before the Lord. And I felt like that's those summers, God was grabbing hold of me and saying, you have value. There were these moments that I would go down this corridor at the church we were living in and I would get all the way down to the end and there's these pay phones at the end. You got, any of you guys under the age of 40, pay phones were something, we used to have to pay to talk to people. And so you'd put a dime in it and then eventually they raised it to a quarter so not as many people were using the pay phone. Well, we, I'd sit at the end at this pay phone and wait for my girlfriend to call me. And while I was waiting for my girlfriend to call me, I felt like God was grabbing hold of me. I felt like God was just, I, 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 those were those moments that I would pray to him and I'd say, God, and I'd sing that a song, you know, uh, creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me because I felt so low. And I felt like God, there was a moment where it's, I know this sounds weird, but I felt like God grabbed my hand and I felt like he was holding my hand. I could feel in a sense, just in the, I've never felt it since then, this hand of God just holding my hand. You know, and then my girlfriend would call and I answer and say, Jackie, you just interrupted a really good time with the Lord. But, but he, I felt like God was telling me, man, my love for you, it covers you. Well, at the end of that summer, Pastor Jenkins was sitting, we are sitting there at church and, and, and all of my African-American brothers and sisters were all sitting there. They were family. And I loved, the, I loved the, the people that I met there. And they're all worshiping God and singing gospel music. And it, when Pastor Jenkins says, does anybody want to get baptized? And I felt like the hand of God grabbed me and said, it's time. Stop living to that equation and start living to the truth that I so value you. So I got into that pool. Pastor Jenkins dumped me in the water. And I remember that cold, cool, refreshing water over me. And I came out of that water and I just said, man, this is victory. This is victory. Lord, help me to remember victorious living. And ever since then, I'll go back to that time. Victorious living. You guys, we don't get paid any extra to get people to get baptized. We don't get 10 extra bucks for any person that gets baptized. We just love it when people get to celebrate with other people victorious living. We decide that we're gonna do some baptisms in the next coming weeks. And we want you to, to think about that yourself. Some of you might say, why? And, and, and maybe the question instead of why is why not? Why not jump into that water? Why not feel that? The Holy Spirit will meet us and remind us of what Jesus is doing in our lives. Express that to other people and share that with other people to go, what's happening on the inside? I wanna share it on the outside. 
So we're gonna give, in the midst of COVID, we're gonna give you different ways to get baptized. We'll come out to your house. I might even load our, the hot tub that we baptize people in in the back of my truck and bring it out to your house. You guys, we're gonna figure out a way to, to baptize you guys in these next couple of weeks if you wanna get baptized. Even if you got baptized as a baby, dude, God's not gonna get upset with you for doing that. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pass this off to Becky. She's gonna give you a little more information. Becky has been, I love how passionate she has been around this. She's gonna give you more information about baptism. We'll sing one more song and I'm gonna wrap this thing up today, okay? Well, friends, as Bill said, we are pumped to be celebrating baptisms here soon. And this week, this very week, we are celebrating baptism. So if you have any interest in being involved in being baptized, in your kid being baptized, in your friend or your neighbor being baptized, please spread the word. Now is the time. What you're going to want to do is email me. My email will come up here so you can see it. It's becky at ascentcc.org. We are going to make it available here at Ascent. If you want to be baptized here in our hot tub, warm tub. It's a warm tub. And then another option is we will come to you, just like Bill said. Um, we want to make this so easy and so available. And we're going to celebrate together on October 4th in the service online. We invite you to celebrate with us. But right now, Ross is going to lead us in the song that speaks to exactly why we get to celebrate new life. So take it away, Ross. sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope with no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested and my life began Well, ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. And my orphan heart was given a name. When my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Life begins with you. Release from my chains. I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was ransomed, faithfully born. Well, he canceled my debt, and he called me his friend. That's when death was arrested in my life again. Oh, your grace, so She's Criminal's cross, and darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus rose and our freedom in hell. That's when death was arrested in my life. 
All right, you guys, let's finish this thing up. You know, I, I again, ask the question, instead of, instead of ask why, why not? I mean, is it because it seems weird? Well, it probably seemed weird for the Ethiopian eunuch to go do it, but we go, go do it anyway. Is it inconvenient? Is it, it to get into the water? Yeah, but it's probably gonna be a nice warm day and we'll do it, we'll do it anywhere. Even if it's cold, we'll do it anyway. Is it, is it because you were, have already been baptized as a kid? Well. God's not going to be upset if you get baptized again, okay? And so, so, so just think about that. But even more than that, I just want to leave you guys with this. The equation has been fully ripped up, destroyed, erased. It is no longer your performance plus what God sees in you equals your value before the Lord. That has been erased. And it's been erased because of the, uh, of the undeserved because of the unearned and because the unearnable favor of Jesus through grace. Man, grab hold of that today. Grab hold of it tomorrow. In a year, grab hold of it in our life. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus for every single one of us. You guys have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday.